and welcome to a brand new episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. The football may be back to being disappointing, but we are still here to cheer you up with the pitter-patter of podcast matter. My name is Tom Dow, and I'm joined, as always, by my best friend, Andre Grayson. It's just getting better and better. Hello, Mr. Dow. <laughs> Hello, and it's been another tough week, so let's jump straight into memories of happier times with our now legendary commentary quiz. Each week, we select a piece of commentary from years gone by and read it with no emotional context while the other person has to guess the goal we are describing. This week, it is my turn to go first after I got your uh, Julio Baptista one from last week that proved I was an utter disgrace. So uh, are you ready for your one this week, Andre? Certainly am, certainly am. Okay, so I've got multiple parts to this if you need them. So we'll just uh, we'll start oh. early and we'll go from there. <laughs> okay. He's won the race for the ball. Can he win the race for the goal? It's not coming to me immediately. I'm picturing a speedster has obviously scored this. Um, okay, so I'll add a little bit more for you. Thank you. So he's won the race for the ball. Can he win the race for the goal? Yes, he can. One end to the other in the blink of an eye. One end to the other in the blink of an eye. Um... I can give you a little bit more. I need a bit more. Yeah, it's not coming. <laughs> and that is the danger of playing against the league leaders. You're attacking one moment, defending the next, and picking the ball out of the back of your net the very next. Right, I can picture the goal. Can I can I can I have the commentator? Um Is it BBC is it a match of the day? I feel like No, no, it isn't. It it was from um the Premiership when they went to ITV. So I believe it's Clive Tilsley, I think. They can do that to you in the blink of an eye. I can, I can see this goal. I can see the ball. I can see the ball it's, it's scored with. Are we in a blue kit? We are not, no. We are playing a team in a blue kit, though. No, it's not coming. OK, it is from the 2003-2004 season, if that is any help. The year we won the league? Yes. Oh, is it, is it Vieira? No, it's not. No, that was Vieira. Uh, <laughs> okay. No, Tom, you're going to have to tell me. A very, very tough one. This was Dennis Bergkamp away at Birmingham in a 3 0 oh, win. Oh, I can picture the goal for fuck's sake. Yeah. Oh, there it goes. <laughs> <laughs> there goes the explicit warning. Done. <laughs> <laughs> A, a, a game, a game famous for uh, a hat trick of assists by Thierry Henry, and it was uh, only a few days later that we went to a San Siro and won five one. Mm. And I remember specifically after the Birmingham game, Steve Bruce came out and said that Thierry Henry was the best player in the world. Not wrong. At the time, he was definitely not wrong, but uh, that was a, a very, very difficult one for you to get. I will, I will concede that. We came off done, and Arsenal can break here. Henry on towards Dennis Bergkamp. He's won the race for the ball. Can he win the race for the goal? Yes, he can. One end to the other in the blink of an eye. And that is the danger of playing against the league leaders. You're attacking one moment, defending the next, and picking the ball out of the back of your own net the very next. No, fair enough, fair enough. I, I don't think I've got anything nice in return either um 
<laughs> you ready? They're getting, ready. To be fair, they're, they're getting harder and harder to come up with. I, I cannot say I'm going into the annals of history. Anyway, okay, are you ready? So could this well be the first time both of us fail? <laughs> no, you'll get this. Okay. Okay. First foot on the first rung of the ladder back. I feel like it's probably from like the, the, the cup final against Hull. No, no. Uh, uh, so it's first foot on the first rung of the ladder back. What a start for Arsenal. Oh, is it? Oh, okay, right. Is it uh, Koscielny's header against AC Milan? Yes, yes. <laughs> it is. It certainly is. Yeah. Oh, that was a heartbreaking night. It really was. Um, yeah. Because it. I've, I'm still having nightmares about that Van Persie chip. Well, do you know what? The highlights appeared the other day and I forgot just how good we were in that first half. And that chip, because do you know why? That that chip, right? Do you know how many times you watch a game and you go, why didn't he chip it? Yeah. And then when he chips it, why didn't he whack it? <laughs> yeah. Why didn't he put his foot through it? I, I, I mean, it's one of those ones that you can, you can see what he was trying to do. You can see why he tried to do it the way he did. But... Um, I was in the North Bank right behind it and it was just absolutely devastating because particularly after the first half where Oxlade-Chamberlain in centre midfield absolutely ran the show um, and then when he went off injured, you kind of felt like chances would be at a premium for us in that second half um, because we were all already struggling for, for players before that game and then obviously the Oxlade-Chamberlain getting injured as well uh, meant that the task was even harder than it needed to be. But um I think if we got that goal, I don't think AC Milan would have come back from that because I think they they would have been so flat having been 3-0 up from the first leg. Uh, But, oh, sorry, 4-0. We were 3-0 up, of course. Uh, 4-0 up from the first leg. But that was absolutely heartbreaking. I think we would have gone on and got uh, got the fifth if we needed to at that point. I think it would have given us the momentum. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. But do you know what it made me think of? It was um, it was actually lovely to reminisce about sort of uh, a time where losing in the last 16 of the Champions League was deemed unacceptable and a failure. A and simpler it, time. <laughs> and it really, really was. Where my biggest grievance was with the um, pitch at the San Siro. Do you remember that we were... I think that we were good at attacking wide that season from wide. Yeah. And they absolutely scuffed up both touchlines. I've never seen anything like it. It was an absolute farce. Um, and that was where that was where actually truly my hate of Zlatan um, began, actually, that game. Oh, that's a good shout. Um, mm-hmm. That was also Thier- officially Thierry's last appearance for Arsenal because he came in at half time in the away leg. Um, and then didn't obviously have the impact that we would have liked. And then uh, it was shortly after that that he went back to... Um, his parent club mm. so that was um, that was a disappointing game what I also remember that game for is that we wore our third shirt for that season and that was the only game we wore it in because it was the away shirt from the previous year but with the celebratory 125th anniversary crest on mm. um, and I I fortunately when I was doing my my shirt collecting project I managed to pick up a player issue version of it Oh, wow. Which is a, a wonderful bit of memorabilia that I that I possess. Um, yeah, so that's what I remember that game for as well. There you go. There you go. First foot on the first rung of the ladder back. 
start for Arsenal. Absolutely fantastic delivery. Oxley Chamberlain's first corner came in. And Ibrahimovic heading at the near post, but this one is all about the delivery. It's absolutely magnificent. You can't defend against those. Just gets a little bit of a touch on his shoulder. Doesn't get a quite clean contact, but what a start for Arsenal. Game on. Um, well, look, that was a, 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 a promising game that ultimately ended in disappointment. And there's your segue. <laughs> and there's the segue. Right, so on Saturday, <laughs> we went into the game against Aston Villa and it promised so much because we thought maybe we could recover from uh, the strange game at Molyneux on Tuesday night. Uh, didn't quite go to plan. We lost 1-0 and conceded within the opening two minutes. Um, Andre, what did you make of it all? <laughs> Well, I think I, I actually think this was the first game. I, I don't know about you. I didn't. Okay. Well, let's let's talk about the the sort of uh, before I go into the wider context. When the game kicked off, I actually felt really quite confident about us. Um, surprised again, there was a lack of rotation, particularly after many of those players played. Um, you know, the, the full ninety minutes and some of that with ten and then nine men against Wolves. So I was pretty surprised at the lack of rotation. However. I was really looking forward to hoping we'd kick off, you know, how we kicked off that first half against Wolves. But it's a terrible error from Cedric. We go 1-0 down within minutes. And Matt Ryan must have thought, what? what? I knew it was bad, but I didn't know it would be this bad. Um, what an error. <laughs> what an error to start a game. And then the, the rest of the story is just about our ineptitude in attack, which we've seen time and time again this season. Uh, it's a very hard game to analyse because on the face of it, I thought we played quite well. If you compare yeah. the last fixture to Villa and the last fixture to Wolves, we've come a long way. But yeah, other definitely. than that, I, I, I haven't... I, I feel like all the points I want to make are about wider issues than the game itself because I'm so used to losing this season. It was a nothing game. It was really disappointing. Um, and I think we've just got to talk about the attack as much as anything, but not just in this game, the wider season. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, just just to touch on the game before we do that, um, obviously there was a couple of things I wrote down which pretty much echo what you said. Um, and the, the notes I wrote were back to the familiar story of struggling to break teams down, which we'll obviously go on to that, that as a wider issue in a second. I said I didn't think we deserved to lose, but we didn't do enough with the possession that we had. Again, that goes back to the wider issue. And I think this is probably the most hard-hitting statement is that the last week has again shown that we are a mid-table side and like mid-table sides we struggle for consistency um, and that's kind of where we're at at the moment so I think that's probably quite a nice segue into the conversation about the wider issues surrounding the club because mm. that is ultimately where we are at at the moment we are a mid-table side and realistically in, in the rema remainder of the season I don't see that changing. Mm. No, I really don't. I really don't. I mean, I've got, to, I've got to get this off my chest first, though, before we talk <laughs> about our attack. And I, I've got to try and contextualise this because I've been desperate to talk about this. And I've changed my opinion about 10 times in preparing for talking to you today. Referees. <laughs> and the, the one that got me, as our neighbours will um, <laughs> testify, was the concert um, last man decision. And the thing is, at the time, I, I 
was so sure it was a red card. I still think it's a red card. But I only think it's a red card in the context of this season. I do not want that to be a red card in football. I don't want that to be the kind of rule. I don't want players getting sent off over a foul that you could argue the toss. It was a 50-50 challenge. But in the context of our season and what we've been through and what Arsenal have seen for Reds, it's impossible to not feel so hard done by. Um, Because, again, I I don't know if you watched um, the Man City-Liverpool game. I did. Right. So Salah's penalty. If you look at a clip of David Luiz getting sent off against City last season, or if you look at what David Luiz (laughs) is sent off for, it's the same. But it's a yellow because yellow's the punishment. And it's just every time we start to get something going, we are let down time and time again. And look, I think the reason I'm so frustrated is that these are what we're clinging on to. And I think it goes back to your point that we're a mid-table side. But the thing I wanted to ask you before I go into this, and, and of course, you know, I'm very happy to shout at my TV and particularly at a ground, I'll shout at the ref. I do think things going out on social media lately are disgusting. And, and I've got to get something off my chest about the racism, but also the stuff of Mike Dean today, because it's just, we've hit like a peak and it's unbelievable. But I wanted to ask you about VAR, actually, Tom. VAR in its current sense, uh, in its current form, it doesn't work. It ruins football. And I think everyone knows that. What on earth can we do to improve it from here? Because it's not going anywhere. I think, for, for me, I think I think the big issue is that the people who are responsible for running it and making sure that it is done properly clearly are not up to the standard. Um, I saw, I've seen loads of things comparing this to what's going on in Europe and stuff, and we don't see the same conversations. Admittedly, obviously, we're in a far far bigger microcosm of, of English football than we are experiencing what's going on in Europe. But everything I've read suggests that the same um, errors and furore that's going on in the Premier League isn't happening elsewhere. We look at the World Cup, for example, when they brought in VAR. And of of course, there was a lot of penalties and stuff, but there wasn't the same, I'd say, vitriol towards it. There wasn't the same anger every time something happened. It was just a general acceptance that, okay, well, this is VAR. um, It's got the decision right and we move on. So for me, it's got to be about the implementation and how we are doing it in this country, because at the moment, we're not we're not getting it right. Um, the one that I would go to specifically, obviously, we've been on the, on the end of some really shocking decisions. And I know you wanted to, to touch on the abuse that Mike Dean's got recently um, on the back of a couple of his controversial decisions. But the one that really got me was the red card that Thomas Suchek got oh. um, for West Ham against Fulham. And obviously, that's since been rescinded. But I just, for me, it doesn't matter what VAR is doing. If a referee goes over to the monitor and there's already a referee, I'm kind of more looking at the referee who's initially said, go and have a look. Because how he can, I think it's Lee Mason was the referee that told him to have a look. How he can watch that as a qualified referee who's meant to be refereeing at the top level can see that incident and say that that, deems worthy of a straight red card and then I've kind of got a bit of sympathy for Mike Dean because he's been sent over and he's in the situation where he's then pressured to analyse his decision again or not really his decision because he didn't see it in the first place but he's then required to go in against what his on-field judgment would be and the fact he's had to watch that 
as many times as it did, shows that he was probably not clear and not certain about that. But I think it's that external pressure which is coming from above, which is the reason why referees feel like they have to make those those changes. Um, so I, I think implementation is the problem. How you change that? We, I think there needs to be a complete overhaul of refereeing in English football because I don't think it's at the standard it needs to be for the level that sport is at. Um, but that that's probably where I'd go. But I think there needs to be a lot more training on it because at the moment the, the rules yeah. just... They're not understanding the rules from a from a, uh, a logical standpoint, and it doesn't. I appreciate that the rules have to be essentially black and white, but there doesn't appear to be any sort of leeway from those rules. And if they can't figure out the rule for an incident, they just kind of shoehorn that example into an existing rule. If that makes sense. Yeah, it makes it makes no sense. But look, the, the thing that gets me with with uh, I had that Fulham West Ham game on in the background. Um, and I wasn't really concentrating on it, but they replayed this about 30 times, mm-hmm. uh, maybe more. But genuinely, it went on forever, and you're watching slow-mos, and then you relate it to Arsenal, which, of course, you know, is what we're here to do. We're not here to, to, to run the rule of the Premier League. They reviewed Bruno Fernandes' rake on Xhaka in 10 seconds. They reviewed David Luiz in seconds. They didn't look at Concer and the Red. They didn't revisit any of that. And it's just that for me is the bit I do not understand that some decisions get reviewed to the nth degree and others are just waved on. And that for me is the part where you're either reviewing everything to the nth degree in pursuit of perfection or if it's close, like if it's offside and it's, you know, there's you can barely make it out and you're drawing lines, it's given. And you go with the linesman's call like they do in cricket, for example, uh, for example. I just think in its current state, it leads to anger and frustration, which is why we're seeing it boil over to a level that we've never seen before. Because people don't, I mean, first of all, people don't have a release in society, especially in the UK in the same way. I mean, what they did, uh, I don't know if you saw the stuff about Axel Twanzebe and all sorts that's going on. But people are at a breaking point with football. And actually, I don't think people realise how serious it all is, both in terms of this, people actually can't deal with this refereeing stuff. They actually can't deal with it. Um, and I don't blame them. I mean, football's hard to watch now. You know, with no fans and with VAR in its current form, it's just a huge source of frustration. And I think that's why, just relating it back to the Villa game, I sort of just got on with it because I was so wound up about that red. And then I was like, well, actually, if you watch so many games, uh, the, the, the moments like this happen. But you just have no idea what's going to happen um, to or for your team. And it does feel like at the minute, I mean, we are just getting absolutely brutally punished at every opportunity. Um, I think the, the, the big thing is, is the consistency or lack, or lack thereof mm. um, that is the big issue here. And particularly if you look at Arsenal over the last week, I, I, I don't think it takes... Um, that much bias to be looking at Arsenal and to, and to suggest that we've been on the wrong end of some really really strange decisions in the last in, in the last week. Um, going back to what you said about them checking things instantaneously, you look at the Lacazette penalty appeal that we had on the weekend. And that, was that even looked at? I don't. I'm not even sure if it was. No, it wasn't. Um, and that. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's what I mean. Yeah. So, and what we saw, particularly when this was first introduced in the World Cup is that decisions like that were being given 
the amount of penalties he got given for handling in the box or grappling in the box. And no one moaned about it. Everyone just got on with it and accepted that that's, that's the rule. And yeah. we haven't adopted VAR in the same way that the rest of Europe have. Um, I, I, I wouldn't be able to go into the nitty gritty of that, that. But from what I little I have read and, and understood, it does seem to me that the rest of Europe have done things slightly differently. And, and as always, the Premier League have thought of themselves as being this higher being and have gone to try and do things in a slightly different way that uh, somewhat benefits us. But I don't know. I don't really understand why we are doing that, if I'm honest. <laughs> no, no. Anyway, anyway, I think all of this would feel a lot better, Tom, if Arsenal were scoring goals. Um... <laughs> it would feel a lot better if we were scoring goals. And again, we're just looking at it and thinking, oh, just how are we going to score goals again? Yeah, and I've got to ask you, on the, on the, I think we absolutely, Arteta, abs- for me, there's, there's a couple of pivotal moments in this game. Arteta absolutely blew it with his substitutions. And yeah. I think people forget he's a young manager and this will happen. And they have to just sort of remember it's part of a journey. And for everything he learned about fixing the defence and improving how we're playing, he will have learned from this. But it was a glaring, glaring error. How he... Th- we were... Honestly, the brightest moments in, our, in that game were when Pepe and Saka were combining down the left. Yeah. And I thought it was coming. It felt like it was coming. I mean, it was one of those where, was it coming... Or what, you know, but it certainly felt more like it. He brings on Willian, the attack's over. It all breaks down with him. Um, and look, it I don't was such go... a bizarre one. It was like, sorry yes. to interrupt you. It was such a bizarre one because um, the logical substitute at that point would have been Danny Ceballos to come into midfield. Yeah. Um, obviously, with, with for a straight swap. And it, even if you're trying to do something different and, and presenting a slightly different shape to try and improve things. Why you wouldn't go to Gabriel Martinelli instead? I, I, don't, I, I don't get it. I really don't get it. But do you um, think this is one of those moments where Willian was coming on already, party goes down, I want to talk about mm-hmm. that as well, and then he's sort of gone, oh, just save time, get him on. Yeah, I saw Arsblog tweet about that, where he said that potentially it was uh, a one about getting a player on who was ready as opposed to the right player. Um, and it does feel, it did feel like that. But I, we're, we're getting to a point with William that, I mean, we're going to have a job in, we keep saying it, but we're going to have a job in the summer of trying to move him on because it hasn't worked. It's not going to work. Um, I don't I don't know what the solution is, but it has to be some way of trying to get him out of the club because he can't be enjoying this. We're not enjoying it. Arteta's clearly losing faith in him because he's getting less and less game time, albeit he's still managed to get on in, in the last two games when we would question why he's why he's coming on. Um, it's it's so puzzling, but it's just it's obviously just been a complete failure that that transfer. Yeah, it has, and and and, and I suppose talking of Arteta in this, um, going forward, as we know, you know, again, just because I, I said the subs, but. Saka, Smith Rowe, Odegaard, Abamyang, Lacazette, um, Willian, uh, Xhaka, even who, who can have a who can have a pop from time to time and had our you know had our best shot in the game I, I reckon. Um, yeah, that's a lot of talent on the pitch. At what point do we start to wonder whether it is what Arteta's asking of them, whether those players are good enough? I don't really know where we are. What, what sort of what are your thoughts on why? 
You know, I saw a record today, a stat today, sorry. We haven't scored in 10 games this season, which is the fifth lowest. And the, and the four teams below us are, are, of course, the bottom four, as you'd expect. And I know we've improved defensively and we've talked about, you know, that he needs to be lauded for that, et cetera, et cetera. But what, what is going on with attack? Because I've never seen an Arsenal side so insipid. I, don't, I just, I don't really know. It's, it's, it's got to be, you have to attribute some of the blame to, to Arteta and what he's asking them to do because it's not working at all. We're not creating chances. We're not scoring goals. Um, and it's all very much stating the obvious with those statements, but those are the facts of the matter. And he's got to find a way of finding that balance. And I think that's the key word. It's the key word that he's not found that balance yet. And I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe he partly sees this season as a season to get the defence sorted. And then when, next year, when he's had a bit more of a window and a bit more players of his own coming in, then we can probably go. But I, I don't know, you see glimpses. So if you look back to the, 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 the Wolves game, the first half, that's what we want to see. That's the kind of attacking football we want. And we were creating chances, albeit we didn't take uh, enough of them, but we were looking a lot more like a classic Arsenal side. And m moving forward, we, we, we then go to Villa and are faced with, I, th I think the big problem as well, I'm sort of going off on a tangent again here, is that the first goal in Arsenal games is so important. Because if we go behind in the first two minutes like we did, we're chasing the game. And teams know that we struggle to break teams down when they create those those two banks. And we really don't know what to do with that. And Aston Villa knew, know that. And they did it expertly when they came to the Emirates because they got in front and then they, they were, obviously they played us off the park as well, but they were able to build that foundation. And they knew as soon as they were 1-0 up, right, we've got Arsenal here. We, we know that we don't have to attack and we don't have to be our free-flowing best. We just have to be fr frustrating and hit them on the counter-attack. Mm. And ultimately, they probably had the better chances to extend the lead because they were actually creating things on the counter-attack, particularly through Jack Grealish. So it's it's, it's such a tough one. Um, if I knew the answer, well, that's I'd probably be employed by Arsenal Football <laughs> Club. <laughs> what do you think? Uh... I have no idea, and I don't know. I know, I I know what you're saying about balance. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I, my one theory, my one theory is that we don't have a top number nine, and I like Lacazette a lot, and I like Abamyang, but I'm looking at like Watkins even, yeah, and thinking he'd improve us, and you look at Bamford. <laughs> And you look at some of the goal involvements, Vardy, teams above us, right? Because that's where you've got to look at. And even someone like Danny Ings um, would improve us quite significantly. Uh, I like Lacazette, but he is not a striker who can lead the line with all and doesn't bring all the facets you need. And ultimately, when you're struggling to score, who do you turn to at every level of the game? It is your number nine. Um, and and I, I really do like Lacazette, but he's not that... He, when I say top tier... I think he is a top-tier striker. He's relatable to those players. But he doesn't get you that goal out of nothing, really. And he certainly doesn't do enough to unsettle that back line on his own. Um, I'd, so I'd argue. Think... I'd argue. I'd, obviously, what you're saying is absolutely spot on, that we, we need that sort of player. But my argument would be that you, as much as you want your number nine to be this, this goal scorer as well, 
I think in the system we're playing, which is obviously very similar to Man City, uh, we look at the Liverpool structure, it's quite similar in the, in the, in the make-up to that. Maybe slight, slightly different because we're playing with a, an out-and-out number 10, whereas Liverpool, for example, play with those three midfielders. But I think the role of the number nine has kind of changed to it's more important just to be that physical focal head and the one that can really hustle defenders, so to speak. So as much as I, I, I agree with everything you said, with the exception about the player really needing to be a natural goal scorer, because we, if we look at players like Ollie yeah. Watkins, Ollie Watkins isn't prolific, but he will get goals and he'll be a pain in the ass. And <laughs> I think I think that's more what we need. We need someone who is a pain in the ass up there, who even when they're not having a good day, is still going to work their socks off and still be persistent. And that's where you'd look at someone like Patrick Bamford, who isn't the most wonderfully gifted player in the world, but he is someone who, whatever he does, you know you're going to get a game from him where he's going to be a pain because of his work rate. I think Arsenal fans have somewhat forgotten about... like, Sorry, I think it's skewed in our heads about Roberto Firmino because Liverpool won the league and Firmino didn't score at home. He still scored a lot and he was incredibly threatening. And he was a huge reason why Salah and Mane had the space they did and to say teams win leagues without like a top, top number nine or even get in the top four. I mean, you only have to look up the road. Right. And as much as I don't like to to, to sing his praises because, you know, but Harry Kane is the only reason Tottenham are above, you know, 20th because they are bang <laughs> average. They are honestly. I'm, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Bang average. <laughs> uh, I'm obviously overplaying it. Uh, you know, they'd, they'd probably be at least 15th. Um, but they aren't much better than that. But he is that good. He is that good that he drags them there. And a striker can do that more than any other type of player. Yeah. Uh, it's just a fact. We are just talking about, we are talking about facts. Um, <laughs> just, <laughs> Mr. Ferguson. Uh, anyway, talking of facts, we're 11th. Mm-hmm. I don't know where our season's going. We're going to play two neutral <laughs> games against Benfica, it seems like. Forget prioritising Europe. If we finish under 10th, Arsenal Football Club invested 50 million in a player. Do you think that's a sackable offence? I'm not saying they will. I'm just saying, do you think Arsenal, this season where everyone's dropping points, under 10th, sackable offence? Uh, I think the conversation certainly needs to be had. Um I'm not sure. I think it probably is, to be honest. If you're looking at any other project other than the Arsenal project at the moment, I think you do um, have to say that that would be a sackable offence because a, a club of the, the stature of Arsenal should not be finishing that low down. Um, so, in a nutshell, yes, I don't. I, I agree with you. I think they're looking at the bigger picture and the longer, longer project. So, I don't think it would be, um, but. If it, if we do finish that low and we don't have European football for next season, um, I think then your he Arteta would be under so much pressure next year to deliver something, and whether that is getting into the Champions League or whether that is winning another trophy, um, I think he's under all sorts of pressure if we do continue this vein and finish so low. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, look, I, I didn't know it was actually just a conversation with with. Uh you know, a couple of people that sort of, um, particularly Mark was sort of saying, you can't finish, you can't finish lower than 10th. You, you, 
you can get away with tenth. I don't know. There's something about being bottom half, of, bottom half of the table that I think's just. I, I don't know. I just can't believe we'd do that, but we're going to. And as you said, you know, to loop this all together, we're just a mid-table team. We really, really are. But some players, there's two players we have at the minute um, who, who are certainly not of that calibre. So Thomas Partey and Kieran Tierney. But we cannot keep these players fit. They have immaculate, no, not in Tierney's case, but Thomas Partey has an immaculate injury record prior to joining us in that he didn't have one. Not, yeah. not it was impressive how many injuries he's had. What what do you, you know, are we at a point now where, because without party, we're not the same team. And without Tierney, we're not the same team. And I, I think, you know, there's mitigating circumstances about why we don't have a backup left back. But what do you make of the fact we're in a position where we've got two, two valuable players who cannot get on the pitch? It's enormously concerning. Um because it just keeps going on and on. Obviously, Tierney, this is his third or fourth injury that's kept him out for a considerable amount of time since he's been at Arsenal. And it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable to have probably your two best players consistently out for as long as they are out. Um, And you need to be able to rely on them. so I, th- I think in previous years when we've had injury-prone players, we've had the luxury of knowing that we've had some other creative players within the side that can kind of pick up the slack. And we, we don't have that luxury anymore. Um, for us to be a competent side, we need to have, and you've said it so well in the past, we need to have all the cogs in place. Mm. And if you can't have all the cogs in place, then you have to you have to find a way of solving that. And at the moment, we don't have a squad capable of solving those problems which is the big concern. Um, but, yeah, it's not sustainable. It really isn't sustainable for um, a long period of time. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, um, yeah, I'm struggling with it big time. You know, I, I, I just think we can't afford for this to happen and we definitely can't afford for this to happen much longer. I'm very worried about Tierney because the sort of updates we get, they're not... <sighs> <laughs> they're just not good, are they? They're just it, the worst. And I remember this with uh, Wilshire and Rosicky. I was just about to say about Wilshire because the amount of updates we got about him by where it was just like um, he's not back yet, and it was really vague. And then it was he's not back yet, and then he was always picked up another injury. And it's just it, it does feel very reminiscent. And I don't, I agree with you. I don't like it at all. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. And uh, it's it's. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. It's so concerning to me. It's so concerning to me. Um, yeah, I don't know what to say. Well, we just we just have to hope that we manage to get get this rectified because obviously Thomas Party. I think I've read that he could well be available for the weekend. So it sounds like that was only a minor thing, but he keeps getting these minor injuries, hmm. and I think. You don't want to go back to the days when we were just an injury-prone football club, which you, you sort of feel like we obviously we still get our injuries, but you didn't feel like we were quite as ravaged by these as we have in previous years. Um, but we we can't have our two best players out all the time. Um, so we're going around in circles with that one because it's just it's so infuriating and so frustrating that we can't get our best team out. Because when we do have our best team out, then we have, we've got half a chance. We've got half a chance of building something. 
But until that happens consistently, we're always going to be playing catch up because we're not being able to produce that momentum that we need to really string um, a couple months of football together. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. I, I hope something's going on behind the scenes that we don't know about that's going to magically fix everything. But uh, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, you're right. We're going around in circles. I, I just don't know. I don't know anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit like lost. I'm lost with it all <laughs> because without those two, we are in so much trouble. And I, I, when I say so much trouble, I just mean without Tierney on that left, we do not look anywhere near the same side. Yeah, he's he's the one. He's he like as much as more than party. Is, I, I, I I really do watching it from attack an attacking standpoint. I just think we just look insipid without him. Um, it's crazy to say about left back, isn't it? Yeah, it's absolute madness, and we shouldn't be in a situation where we're that reliant on a left back. And we've said that before when he was out. Um, but we need we need him back. Simple as that. We need him back, and we need Thomas Party back firing as well. Yeah. So yeah. No, it's it's tough. It's tough, and it's it's all interesting because it all it all links together. But uh, we shall see. As I said, I think it's very hard to not talk about wider issues in it with this game. I think it was one of those games, and you know we move on. Um, anyway, on a lighter <laughs> note, um, quick update: Schalke, <laughs> the now <laughs> weekly Schalke update. <laughs> yeah, they lost three nil uh, at home. Mustafi's debut to RB Leipzig. Tough game, but. Uh, they sit on on one win for the season still. So, uh, yeah, but uh, of course, I know most people are now listening to the Boys in Blue and White Schalke podcast here. Um, yeah, but they, uh, they didn't our, do our, lose. Our sister podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So they didn't have the, uh, the the bounce that we expected from the signing of uh, Skrogdan Mustafi. Did we expect a bounce? I mean, I've got to say, there's many things you expect when signing <laughs> Skrogdan Mustafi. A bounce should not be one. Although we went many games unbeaten, so perhaps they we were... We did. It was like 22 games, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, there you go. There you go. All right. Okay, so that brings us on to the final segment of the podcast where we look at memories from years gone by. Uh, this week, we've deviated again from our, our, our weekly um, kit selection that we, we normally do. But this week, we're going to go with goals at Villa Park against Aston Villa. Um, now, we've done this because obviously we didn't score on the weekend and we thought we'd like to celebrate some times when we have scored at Villa Park. Um, so, Andre, I believe you are going to kick us off for this week. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, I'm amazed because I, I chose one and then you snapped in with your two goals. And I, I cannot believe you didn't take this, but I think it would be a disgrace to not mention this goal. I mean, there's quite a lot at Villa Park. I, I mean, the... Um, Ashley Cole one that we love, but we've discussed it. But I, I couldn't not talk about Robert Perez. I couldn't not talk about that goal in gold. I couldn't not talk about the way he sent George Boateng swimming down a river. <laughs> I, I couldn't not talk about uh, him lofting it over Peter Schmeichel, of all people. It, it's one of those goals that just goes down in folklore, folklore because it's stunning. I love that our fans are behind the goal. I love the finger wagging from Robert Pires. I love the commentary from Andy Gray. It's, it is sublime. It is such a phenomenal goal in a title winning season. And it is just, 
you know, you are awestruck by seeing this goal. It's footballing perfection from Robert Pires. Uh, you know, and it's almost the fact the pitch is so muddy and you can tell just the craft to arc the ball perfectly over Schmeichel. It's not even like the, the lob goes, you know, fully in the other corner. It's just over him. It's sheer perfection. It is, it's just football mastery. And I loved it. Football mastery. I love that phrase. That's fantastic. Um, there you go. You've described that absolutely beautifully. <laughs> um, I just think it's just Robert Perez. What a guy. And actually, on that note, an unrelated, actually, two years ago to the day, I had my picture with Robert Perez when I went to a screening of a victory against uh, away at Huddersfield. And he was there. And I got a lovely picture with him and Gunnosaurus. <laughs> Both no longer at the football club. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, I remember receiving the picture from you and being very, very envious. But um, wonderful, wonderful memories and a wonderful description of that goal. Okay, so we're going to go with a slightly different description now. And I, my first selection is from 2007-2008. And it is Matteo Flamini equalising at Aston Villa um, in the Premier League. Now, before I speak about the goal itself, I, I feel the need to preface this with some detail about where I watched it, um, because I always enjoy your stories so much about where you've watched games. <laughs> um, so this was a, a place uh, in Margate that I used to watch a lot of games with my dad. And it's a really dingy, traditional old pub called the Bellevue. Um, and at the time, that was the nearest pub to our house that showed football. So we went there quite frequently to watch, to watch games. Um, now, I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here because last season, I took my dad to Everton away and it was a dour nil-nil draw. It was nothing to write home about. Um, but we arrived the night before and we went into the city centre for a few beers and we came across this pub that was the spitting image of the Bellevue, both in terms of interior decor and clientele. So it's the exact same sort of place. And I popped outside to call my brother and uh, I, I came back in and my dad excitedly ran up to me and announced that the pub was owned by the same company. <laughs> and I've never seen a man so animated about something that is so trivial. He was so, so excited about it. Um, later that evening, we were also crossing the road home to the hotel and my dad stepped off a curb and didn't realise it was three feet tall and fell over. <laughs> <laughs> Just a delightful away day. Um, anyway, back to Flamini. Um, it, it, it was quite a good goal. <laughs> no, 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 I joke, I joke. Um, so with the goal, the ball's crossed in. Uh, Rosicki gets a touch to it and manages to prod it to the edge of the box to uh, Flamini. And it's just a ferocious left-footed drive into the back of the net. And it's just one of those, put your foot through it, don't think about anything else, just try and hit the target. And that's what Matthew Flamini does there. Um, and it's just amazing that for a player that is ultimately a defensive-minded player and a defensive midfielder, He's scored some absolute crackers over the years. Uh, I think about that goal. I think about the goal against Newcastle later that season. And then obviously the famous one at, at White Hart Lane when he volleyed it out of the night sky. Mm. So a really, really incredible goal. And uh, obviously I remember it for a very vivid reason. But uh, yeah, there is uh, my little tangent and my little story about the Bellevue pub. <laughs> Beautiful. 
beautiful. Amazing. Okay, so I'm going to go uh, with my next choice because we're going in chronological order today. Mm -hmm. So uh, my second choice is a goal I'm pretty sure we have spoken about before and it might well be one that we've we've talked about when we did the the kit for this year. But it's Abu Dhabi against Aston Villa. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful goal. Everything about it is just just perfect. Um, And that's why I think it's worth revisiting. I was such a fan of Abu Dhabi when he was at Arsenal and and we've spoken before about how his talent never quite materialised because of all of his injury problems. But he just had this ability to travel with the ball so elegantly. And mm. th- this goal displays that better than any other, I think, because he picks the ball up on the near side of, of the pitch as you're, as you're looking at, at, at Villa Park. And he's in his own half. And he does a, a wonderful sort of Cruyff turn to knock it one side of the defender and then runs around the other side. And it's just a, an incredible piece of skill. Um, he then taps the ball to Abue, perfectly timed, and then sprints 50 yards into the Villa penalty area. Um, Abue releases the ball at just the right time and Diaby lifts the ball over the onrushing goalkeeper. And then just goes and runs into the away support. And I just, I love when things like that happen, when they just think, you know what, I know I'm getting a yellow card. I don't care. I'm going to celebrate this properly. (laughs) And I think I've said before, if I was a professional footballer, I'm pretty sure I'd probably get booked every game if I scored, (laughs) because I would just, every time, just think, right, I'm going to the fans. Um, 100%. But it sticks out because we were really poor that evening. Really poor. Um, and yet somehow we we found ourselves in a two-goal lead. Ultimately, it didn't last. But from that game, we've managed to take away two incredible memories. One being Abu Dhabi's incredible goal. And the other being Bakri Sanya's goal line clearance, <laughs> which I'm so happy I get to live. I, I got to live through. <laughs> so, yeah, very different from my first story. But um, Abu Dhabi against Aston Villa is my second selection. Amazing. Amazing. Well... As you alluded to, I picked this last one. Uh, uh, and sorry, just to touch on that. It's such a wonderful goal. I know we've talked about it before, but I can't recommend enough digging that one out. And it was such a great moment as well and a real uh, illustration of his class. Um, yeah. The one I picked, actually, well, it's kind of two, it's kind of two goals. It's, al- it's almost three goals. It's just sort of cheating, really, the system of this game. It's actually ten goals. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually all the goals ever scored about Villa Park. Um no, it was uh, in 2014, so I went to this one. Now, I've talked many times about my love of Aston Villa, whether it's the Witten Arms pub, which is one of the better, if not best away pubs, really, to go to. It's always a good atmosphere. There's home and away fans, but it's got, a, you know, it's not got a, that nasty edge. Um, and also the parking at Villa is by far the best. As, and I don't, you know, I could, I could, I could do a 10-minute monologue about why that parking is the best, <laughs> uh, but, but I won't. Um, I recall uh, driving up um, on my own. I was meeting people up there. I don't. I don't think you're at this one, as I recall. No, um, I wasn't. We won three nil, but we scored three goals in 176 seconds. Now, when you go away, so Özil scored, went through on goal, then Welbeck scored. I can't even. I can't even describe the goal that well. And then they, then Ali Sissoko scored an own goal. Um, but what I wanted to talk about was really that moment for me stuck out lately because I'm really missing going to football. And it was one of those moments where 
you can't really imagine an away end three goals in 176 seconds. It was going berserk. Like it's one thing when you go one nil up, two nil up is always great, especially when it's two in two minutes. But this was this was three. This was three in three minutes, and it was electrifying. It was you couldn't believe what was going on in front of you. And I cannot tell you how many rows of seats I moved. I cannot tell <laughs> you that you know, like it was pandemonium in the away end. Um, and I just miss it so much. You know, there was a clip going around the other day uh, of Everton celebrating away at Anfield. Oh, the limbs, the, the limbs. limbs. <laughs> and I just so miss being part of the away crowd. And Villa Park, I always think of that because there was another season where Giroud and then Wilshire scored two in two minutes, which was a great one to be at. But this one, I was lower tier, I was sort of in the corner and they were all scored at the other end. If you picture where Villa, uh, Villa fans Sorry, the away fans are at Villa Park. But it was just that excitement and, and hugging people that you didn't know that feels such a foreign thought sitting here today talking to you on a podcast where I haven't seen you for a best part of a year <laughs> and just remembering those moments. And it really is what it's all about. You know, you know, forget VAR, forget the trials and tribulations mid-table. That's what going to football for me is always about. And whenever I think of Villa Park and sort of see the ground it always makes me think of that game which you know unbelievably was six seven years ago now and I feel like it was yesterday because I just remember that excitement the game itself was actually interesting it was the first there'd been a lot of clamor for Meza Ozil to play at number 10 because he'd been playing on the right yeah and he played as number 10 and went through within minutes but before anyone had time to say I told you Benga, I told you you should play through the middle we were tuning up and then it was three. And there'd been a lot of, you know, the vitriol had started with the real Wenger in, Wenger out. But it was that unison. It was that togetherness of the fans in that moment that uh, feels a long way away right now. Yeah, it is that togetherness that is uh, is so powerful um, for a football club if, if you do have that with the fans. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you've described it brilliantly again, um, that whole process of not being able to be there. And it still feels such a long way away to returning to football as we know it because although at some point fans will be let back in and it'll be a gradual increase but it feels such a long way away from being able to just lose your mind and, and have those moments of emotion where you as you say are hugging strangers and jumping on, on top of everyone um when, when that returns I just don't know but it's it, you've got to hold on to that as a football fan as as the thing that you will help you get through this because it will return at some point and it will be just as good if not better because of the time we've had to spend away from that so yeah hopefully as soon as possible we are back in football grounds but it seems uh still quite a while away yeah it does it does and uh yeah no i think it's just um a reminder you know in, in all of this that that's what it's all about <laughs> you know, in yeah. all seriousness, that is what going to football and all of this. We can sit and talk about it and get wound up at how we fix our attack and VAR. But those moments where you absolutely lose your mind over a goal uh, and you you know you're taken away out of uh, the monotony of real life is is what it's all about. And uh, it was a lot. Like I said, missing it. You know, missing it. And Villa Park, yeah. you've done that to me. And uh, massive fuck you to Emmy Martinez. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> couldn't resist <laughs> I, I, I i'm actually gonna I'm, I'm gonna cheat a little bit here because i'm gonna just uh talk about one last goal that i sure. um that, that i i was watching whilst i was waiting for you um on the podcast and it was 
a goal which was scored in a 3-2 defeat at Villa Park um, in the 98-99 season. And it was famous because we went 2-0 up at half-time and we lost 3-2. And both goals were scored by Dennis Bergkamp and both were individually brilliant. The first goal was just sort of um, clipped through and he's volleyed it from the edge of the box because there's not enough weight on the ball for him to take it further and rifles it into the bottom corner. But the second goal, um, I'd forgotten how good it was because when I was watching it, he picks up the ball in the middle of the pitch, plays a lovely ball through to Nicholas Anelka, but it takes him a little bit wider than he would have wanted. Anelka holds the ball up and then just passes the ball back in and Bergkamp just caresses it into the bottom corner with his left foot. And it's just absolute perfection that we've seen so much with Dennis Bergkamp over the years. And it was just just a goal that, even though it's in a game that we lost, it's just a goal that made me think of just what a fantastic player he was. And I'll send you the uh, the link to the to the clip um, later. But it's one of those goals that just you can hear the the atmosphere in the away end as well, just just from that moment. And it's just it sounds absolutely electric. And it's one of those ones that I, uh, I, I you would we would have loved to have been there, I'm sure, if you take the second half out of the equation. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. We're more used to the second half now than, than any. <laughs> yeah, we're used to that. We're, but, used uh, to the, we're used to the crumbling now. <laughs> yeah. But we were, obviously, we were champions for that season, which um, obviously was our undoing eventually. But uh, it was a very, very much a case we didn't expect to lose but from being in that position as, as the, uh, the title winners from the previous campaign. No, we did not. But uh, alas, we moved forward, Tom. We moved forward. We won it. Uh, we used to win leagues and that was a much happier time a much happier and uh, a much simpler time but that brings us very nicely to the end of the podcast um thank you to everyone for listening um and to everyone who follows us on social media if you would like to see what we're up to um you can search for us on twitter facebook and instagram by searching for the boys in red and white podcast and if you'd like to see what we're up to on our website it is www.theboysinredandwhite.com that just leaves me to say thank you, Mr. Grayson, for your time as ever. Thank you, Mr. Dow. It's been an absolute pleasure as always, and we will be back next week with another podcast. Thank you and goodbye.